0: Church leaders is what's being dealt with in the third chapter of 1 Timothy, and they uh, deacons are handling practical matters of the church, and practical matters are reserved for those that are biblically minded. And even though they're carnal matters in the sense that they're temporary, we're doing them down here, they still have some eternal value because we want people that are going to be able to lead, that have a spiritual mindset not a carnal earthly mindset even though they would be dealing with temporal things that we have to deal with down here on earth and so leaders aren't selected because they have deep pockets or because they have a big following on social media or some other type of uh punch that they have to their name as far as influence it's biblically minded men spiritually minded men and the other thing I'll say is uh, what we talked about, bishops, plural, and then deacons, plural. And one of the reasons why the pastor can't be the bishop, we talked about it briefly, we'll talk about it a little bit more briefly now, and why the pastor isn't the deacon, uh, these are two separate offices, is because at a local assembly you have one pastor. But at a local assembly you will have more than one bishops, more than one deacons. Those offices are reserved for a plurality of leadership over one local church. Now in Ephesians 4, when it talks about pastors, plural, and teachers, you have a body of Christ, which we are all a part of. It doesn't matter what your uh, GPS location is. If you're in the body of Christ, you're a part of that body of Christ, and, and, and Christ gave his church, that universal church, if you will, what? Pastors and teachers. But if I go to Ethiopia, I can't walk into a local Baptist church and say, oh, your pastor's here. <laughs> what? No, you're not. <laughs> pastors and teachers for the body of Christ, but there's one now at a local assembly. Does that make sense? The plurality for the deacons and the bishops now, you have more than one of them at a local congregation. You say, well, we don't have that. Well, you have to start with a building block. You have to start somewhere and then grow from there. But like we said earlier, we don't want to just select somebody because they have big influence in town. We want to select them because they have these qualifications that we're going to look at. Uh, before we get started in verse number eight, let me just make this uh, mention. I, I was going to start to say in the south, but really in the north, in the in the United States, in the world, anywhere you go, you need to be careful that when you when you hear when you hear these verses being read, it means to a lot of people. Well, the deacon board controls the church and the fine print says if a ma- if a mistake is made or a bad decision is made we reserve the right to throw the pastor under the bus and let him take the blame okay so you need to, you, we need to be careful that we get an understanding that Christ is the head of the church no one has absolute authority or control other than Christ we are all to yield and submit to him and his word and also what it means is uh, the deacon board controls the church the other part of that fine print is that they reserve the right to vote him out of there if he preaches too much bible or kicks one of our pet idols there's problems on both sides of the coin what are we trying to do talk about the elephant in the room and get an understanding of how things have happened before. I'm sure we all have horror stories we could share and prepare ourselves to move forward by what the Word of God says. And if a deacon is under the authority of the Word of God and the pastor is under the authority of the Word of God and the bishops and the elders, and if everyone submits to the Word of God, we'll have a sweet fellowship. You can't have anything else by default. But if the pastor has a secret agenda and the deacons have a secret agenda and the members that sit over here and don't talk to the members that sit over here have another secret agenda, it's not the way God wants it. He wants leaders, but here's what he expects. Let's look at verse number 8. It says, likewise, must the deacons be grave? Now in the Bible, the grave you see a reference to as a burial place. Our New Testament example would simply be Lazarus. He went to the grave. The other example we see in the New Testament, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Right? We are going to have a body of immortality one day. We're going to be resurrected and have a glorified body, right? Well, that's not the meaning of that word in this verse. Okay, uh, we also see in the Bible a graven image. That's a reference to a dead idol. Okay, it's just worthless. Uh, we get um, you, you, it's engraven, it's it's sculpted, it's made, but it's dead. It's it's nothing. Um, when we see in verse number eight of First Timothy three, likewise must the deacons be grave. That's not the reference uh, or the context or meaning of the word in this verse either. So what's a what does it mean to be grave? Well, a grave person they have behavior that is quiet when it's needed. They'll have behavior that is serious or solemn. When it is needed. During a grave situation, if something is serious, we need men that can understand that. And it's important to them to be quiet long enough to listen, to take an, an attitude that's that requires some serious thought. And that's what we're looking for uh, someone that can handle the pressures of a solemn matter. We want a deacon who is grave. And what's interesting as we go through verses 8 through 13, look at verse 11. It's the first qualification for his wife. Even so must the wives be grave. So when it starts off with the deacon, his qualification is to be grave and also want to make sure that his wife is as well. She can't be, you know, cracking jokes and taking on a, a jovial attitude when it's time to kind of get down to uh, a solemn attitude and a serious matter. Uh, so that's, uh, that's what it means. Even so, must their wives are, uh, be grave and then deacons be grave. Look at verse number eight. Next qualification Which is new because we didn't see it listed for the bishops. It says, uh, not double-tongued. And that's real important because a double-tongued person is really a deceitful person. They play both sides of the coin. And you can't do that. You can't make contradictory remarks on an issue to please one side. And then when you talk to the other side, you just double-tongued about it. Well, they're with the pastor, going to say one thing to him, then behind his back, they're going to get the congregation together. They'll say a bunch of things to the congregation that he didn't say to the pastor. That's a, that's a hot mess waiting to blow up. And if you have been in any type of group, whether it's athletics, business, work, family, the double-tongued person, employee, employer, always is the guy that you just can't trust. It's, it's a problem. The tongue is a problem. And so for leadership, for a local church, it's important that he's not double-tongued. We can't have a guy that after all of the phone calls, after all of the secret text messages, after all of the secret emails... Then the business meeting is called and then he pits the congregation against the pastor or vice versa. He pits the pastor against the congregation. This is why leadership these must be qualifications are so important for leadership because a local church is about unity around the word of God. It's about unity amongst the saints. and We need someone who can be honest with their tongue. Amen. 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 And we see, look at verse 11, it's uh, just pointing this out, that the next after grave in verse 11 is not slanderous. And this is talking about the deacon's wife. And it's the same, if you look at the comparisons between verses 8 and verses 11, you see both of those, after grave, both of them, uh, not double-tongued and not slanderous, both of them have to do with the tongue, <laughs> controlling the tongue. It's important. You can't have a deacon's wife who has an uncontrollable tongue. And a lot of women and a lot of men will have, will allow their tongue to get the best of them. We all know in the book of James, right, it talks about how it can just set everything on fire. We don't want somebody burning down the place. We want someone that's building up. It's The body comes together for a purpose, edification, not Well, let's just set the barn on fire and step back and watch it go up. And no, we don't want that. So it's controlling the tongue and not slanderous. In the court of law, you have two types of defamation. You have written defamation, which legally they call libel. And then you have spoken defamation, which in legal terms, they call that slander. Both of them are defamation. One has to deal with written. The other one has to deal with the tongue. And that's the slander. It's not someone who tells tattletales. It's someone who tells false tales. Okay, so we need to be careful of that. Um, I want to take a little side trip before we come back to 1 Timothy 3, because I want to look at the book uh, of Acts, and I want to go to chapter number 6 and try to bring home the importance of why we need leaders look at chapter Acts chapter number 6 look at verse number 1 and in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration now you have to understand that when things get multiplied by default you're going to have more needs More problems will arise. More issues will come up. Why? Because of multiplication. It's growing. That's a good thing. You have some problems. Well, these are good problems to have, right? We call them growing pains. But (laughs) they're not getting enough attention. Because like we said earlier, the pastor can only do so much. And when things grow, they're going to get out of control if it's just the pastor trying to do everything. That's not healthy leadership. So in Acts 6, they have a problem. They have to solve the problem um, because it is something that needs to be addressed. Watch what it says. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, it's not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Because the ministry of the word is important. If they tend to that, then something else is going to suffer. If I do all of the evangelism, if I do all of the upkeep on the property, if I do all of the renovations, if I do all what's going to happen, The the ministry of the word is going to suffer. It is. It's impossible to be able to do everything. And no organization, even the spiritual organization, which is the best one to be a part of. I don't want to be a part of anything else. You have to be able to delegate things out. Now, a lot of churches will say, well, isn't that the pastor's job? Isn't that what we pay the pastor for? You can't pay him to do everything. And you can't ask him to do everything. You can't ask anybody to do everything. So what's happening in Acts 6 is they're looking for a solution. What is it? Look at verse 3. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men, of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. The solution is everybody's looking. They're looking for men. They're looking for honest men. They're looking for honest men that are full of some Holy Ghost wisdom. You have the Holy Ghost, you have some wisdom, by the way. And one of the things that is different from the church in the book of Acts, rather than the modern day church is, is that they were okay with appointing. The modern church, not so much. They've been so indoctrinated with, well, we run it through the flawed political system of American democracy, where we take a popularity contest or a poll, we don't want to call it that, so we call it a a vote, and we allow the majority to select And I don't believe you should select men that way. You may be a real popular guy. But if you're not an honest man, it doesn't matter if you pull high. You see? You might be a real unlikable guy. You might really not pull high at all. But he might be the best honest man that we have that meets all of these qualifications. Who should be selected? Who should be appointed? It doesn't matter what the poll numbers say. Everybody picking up what God's Word's putting down? Amen? It's important that we understand that. There are some matters that have to be taken care of and you can't just smooths the people to try to get into a position of leadership. Well, I'm the mayor, I'm the sheriff, I'm the we want to know if you meet all of these qualifications. So they're looking out. And by the way, there's some Old Testament examples of appointing. In Numbers 4, Aaron and his sons were told to appoint what everybody should do. Matter of fact, it specifically says appoint them everyone to his service and to his burden. You talk about being (laughs) voluntold. They were told, hey, here's what you're going to do. They were appointed to the service. In Joshua chapter 20, God told Joshua to appoint the cities of refuge. Joshua was appointed to do a task. And so what we need to do is look out And we need to look for some evidences of honest men that are full of the Holy Ghost and some wisdom. And I want to point out some contrast here because Acts 6 is very important. Watch what it says. Um, Stay with me, please. We we see that in verse number one, the number of the disciples was multiplied. We see it's growing, okay? And then we see in verse number two, then the twelve called the multitude. And I'm going to contrast for you, you have the twelve over here, and you have the multitude over here. You see that? And uh, so they called, the the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them, the them is the twelve, and said, it is not reason that we, the twelve, should leave the word of God and serve Tables. So he says, wherefore, brethren, the multitude, look ye, ye, that's the multitude, out among you, seven men is on its report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we, the twelve, may appoint over this business. You picking up what I'm trying to get you to see? You've got the twelve and you've got the multitude. The twelve tells the multitude, look, need some help. Can you look out, make some observations, and can you report back to us and let us know who you think is honest and meets this so that we can make a decision to appoint? Now look, that makes sense to me. If you have a pastor and he has one deacon or two deacons or three deacons, if there's three or four men that are in leadership, And there's something that has to be done, and they're at their wits' end with it because it just comes to their plate. Hey, can you men just look out and help us gather some information? Because we really need to make a decision. There's some neglect going on here. They report back to the leaders of the church, and then those leaders bring it before God in prayer, and then they have to do what? Make a biblically-based decision. Does that make sense? Okay, that's Acts 6. If you see in verse number 4, but we will give ourselves continually to what? Prayer and to the ministry of the word. They can't stop praying, but you also have some neglect going on, and you can't let that go either. You need help, we need leaders. And when you look at verse, uh, verses 5 through 7 uh, and the saying pleased the whole multitude, they were fine with it. And they chose Stephen, praise the Lord, a man full of faith and the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And When they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. Watch what happened. Verse 7, the word of God increased and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. I want the word of God to increase. I want numbers to be multiplied. I want a spirit-led congregation. We should be praying to God that he sends men where it's evidenced to all of us in the congregation. Okay, yeah, why? Because we want the congregation to grow. Not just in numbers, but spiritually. And we need leaders to help with that. It's a good thing, it's a good thing. More leaders is a good thing, nobody should be threatened. Multiple leaders at a local church that's what they do in social media, thumbs up, like you. You want that, you want it. All right, let's go back to First Timothy, chapter number three. First Timothy, chapter number three. The Bible says in verse number eight, after not double tongued, it says, not given to much wine. You have to hear all of this before you make your final judgment because the first phrase may not sound right, so please listen to all of it. It says not given to much wine. The Bible gives an allowance for a little bit of wine. It does not give an allowance for much wine. That was the phrase I told you. It's probably going to not sound right, so you've got to hear all of it. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean by that what the Bible means by that. Because in 1 Timothy 5, verse 23, it says, drink uh, Paul, he's instructing Timothy, and watch what he says: drink no longer water, but use a little wine. Why? For thy stomach's sake and thine oft infirmities. Now, Paul, the apostle, they had apostolic sign gifts that could that where they could heal people, instantaneous, physical healings. Were able to be done by the apostles. Now that doesn't happen today. But by the time you get to the end of the book of First Timothy, we see Paul is basically testifying to the fact that, man, this, these, these gifts are starting to move out. Why? Because he instructs Timothy that he has the liberty to use a little wine for a specific purpose. What's that specific purpose? He's got a belly ache he's got a stomach ache and Paul says you can use a little wine that is the only exception where you and I would need to use a little wine if a deacon in the church is sick and he has a stomach ache the Bible gives him allowance to take some NyQuil or whatever now if he chooses not to by con- his own conviction fine, he do not want to take medicine or drugs, that's his choice but if he goes to the doctor and he gets some medicine for a physical infirmity, that's what the Bible gives an allowance for—a little wine. Okay, so I believe that's why it says um, to uh, to understand the phrase in verse number eight. Not why didn't why didn't the Holy Spirit just say not given to wine? It does in other places, I believe, but in this in this phraseology, it says not given to much wine, contrasted with the little wine, where the exception is given for if you have some type of physical ailment. Amen. Hope we're okay with that. Also, notice in verse number eleven the same thing when it says even so must they're wise. We talked about grave, not slanderous. You see how it follows. Verse eight follows rather. Uh, rather unique to verse eleven because now the next one listed in verse eleven for the deacon's wife is sober, and that's a good thing. Matter of fact, it says in Titus two, the aged women likewise that they be in behavior is becometh holiness. And then it goes on to say, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. It's not a good thing to be given to much wine. They should be an example and have behavior that shows good things. Not given to much wine. Whatever you're given to, men, women, all of us, whatever you're given to, you're full of. Leaders full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. By default, then, and the Bible talks about that, you'll be full of light. You'll be full of joy with your countenance. You'll be full of good works. You'll be full of knowledge. You'll be full of grace and truth. You'll be full of faith. You'll be full of goodness. You'll be full of mercy. That's a good thing. It's a good thing. What's it say next in verse number 8? The last qualification is not greedy of filthy lucre. It's not just money. It's dirty money. It's... Money Gained by Dishonest Means. We talked about that last Thursday. Now, it's a misnomer that only rich people are greedy. Poor people can also be greedy. You get in the ministry, you'll find that most of the phone calls from the church come from poor people who want your money. They don't go to any local church. They have no intention of going to any local church. When they're invited to church, they don't come. When they're asked to come and not give, just come and contribute by existing, they don't show up. What do they want? Your money. Your money. Are you saying don't help the poor? I'm, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is just because somebody is rich, it doesn't mean that they're greedy. I know rich people that are greedy. I know rich people that are very giving. Just because somebody is poor, it doesn't mean that they're not greedy. I know poor people who are very giving. The widow's mite. Remember that story? It's in the Bible. But I also have come into contact with poor people that are very greedy. This isn't a rich or poor and you put a label on them. This is character it doesn't matter it doesn't matter your social status what matters is your heart your heart but you don't want to have somebody in leadership someone entrusted with the church's money that is given to filthy he's greedy of filthy lucre um, by the way greedy doesn't just mean uh, that person's a taker man, that person's greedy, he just wants my stuff. Now, now it does mean that, and it can mean that. But a greedy person also can be a person who's just not a giver. It's just, they're a hoarder, it's just all mine, and I'm not using it for nothing but me. Greed. Greed, whether you are a giver or a taker, whether you are rich or poor, it's it's your heart, it's your heart, it's your heart. Um, I have a note here. Uh, Joshua 7, Achan is our Old Testament example. His his greed cost him his life. He was stoned to death. And uh, may that be a reminder to all of us. And uh, we want a deacon that wants to use the money for the Lord's work, not somehow scheme it for his own personal gain. Uh, Verse number 11, let's move on. Uh, or verse number 9 rather, it says, uh, you know what, I'm sorry, let me circle back to verse number 11. Look at the the last phrase in verse 11. Faithful in all things concerning the wives. What things? All these things listed, I believe. Is she faithful and trustworthy and is she not greedy of filthy lucre? You don't want her to be disposed to all of the things that she would be disposed of because her husband's a church is a church leader and have her not be faithful in those things. Um, there's a lot of matters for leaders where they're held in high confidence and the deacon's wife can't be privy to that because husbands and wives talk and then the next thing you know she gets... 100 likes on Facebook because she made it public. You can't, you can't have someone that's unfaithful in those types of matters. Uh, verse number nine, uh, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. Let's have all of us ask: Is our conscience governed by biblical principles? And that's the big question. You can walk an aisle. You can repeat a prayer. You can make a profession. But what I want to know, what you want to know is, does that person have a possession? (laughs) And is their conscience pure? Is it governed by and led by the purity of the Holy Spirit? That's what we want. Verse number 10, And let these also first be proved. Writing a sizable check is not proving yourself. Living a sizable life of character is. And the principle, the qualification, the must-be qualification for a deacon is proved, then used. See it in the text? Watch the wording very carefully. Uh, and let these also first be proved. It's not if I was given this office, then I would prove to you what I can do. It was It's first proved, then used. And that's the way uh, that God has it set up, and it's for a safety reason, safety precautions. He wants someone who's proven first. And in verse number 10, Then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Again, talking about his character. We're not looking for a man that's sinless, because it doesn't say sinless. But how's his character? Is it blameless? Every leader of a local church represents the Lord Jesus Christ and that local assembly. So a blameless character is important because if not it will harm the testimony of the local assembly. Does that make sense? And we don't want that to happen. Do you know how many pot shots the world throws at local churches? We are the bullseye on the target for the world. And they will go for or look for or create something just to go after a good church. That's why we want leaders that are blameless. Everything's above above board. All right, we'll have a rocky road here. I'm sure everybody's in agreement with this, but I do want to go over this Um, because it is important, I don't think you, you can't say this enough nowadays. Maybe in the 1940s or 50s, uh, you could get away with saying this every now and then. But nowadays, I believe it just, you, you have to continually hammer this nail. Watch what it says in verse number 11. Even so must their wives. The wives are not deaconesses. There are deacons which are men, this is not even so must their wives. It doesn't matter what all the biblical Greek experts tell you. These are not deaconesses. You can go to the Expositor's Greek New Testament, and it will say, regarding verse 11, it will say, and I quote, These are the deaconesses, of whom Phoebe in Romans 16 is undoubted example. In Romans 16, Phoebe is an example to women to be servants in the church, and they should be serving in their church. But they are. This is the, verse 11. We don't. We're not electing deaconesses. The ESV will say wives in verse 11, but they'll have a footnote that says or women. The RSV just says in this verse women. The NIV will list it as women, and the footnote will say, possibly women who are deacons. That's not right. I don't believe that's right. I don't believe it's right. The New American Standard will say the same thing in verse 11. It will say, even so, women, and then it will have a footnote that will say, either deacons' wives or deaconesses. That's in the New American Standard. It's an odd footnote because I don't think you can have both. And people want to play Greek games, Why, wife, wives, none of it. It doesn't mean deaconesses. When you see wife or wives, the Greek word doesn't mean deaconesses in Matthew 1, Matthew 14, Matthew 19, Matthew 22, or Matthew 27. The Greek word for wife or wives doesn't mean deaconesses in Mark 6, 10, or 12. It doesn't mean deaconesses in Luke 1, 2, 8, 14, 18, and 20. It doesn't mean deaconesses in Acts 5, 18, 21, or 24. It doesn't mean it in 1 Corinthians 7, Ephesians 5, or Colossians 3. The church doesn't have deaconesses. (laughs) Amen. As deacons who are men. Verse 11 is very simple. It's a deacon's wife. Period. Deacons have wives. End of of thought. Verse number 12 also says, let the deacons, or even so, must their wives be grave, not slanderous, sober, faithful in all things. And then verse number 12, it says, let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, which is additional proof there's no deaconesses because, well, that relationship can't work biblically either because a deacon marries a wife. A deaconess wouldn't marry a wife because that would be equally wicked, okay? Deacons be the husbands of one wife. Uh, Side thought on this. If you make the deacon equal to the pastor, then you have to require every pastor to be married. But there are many pastors who are gifted by God with the gift of pastoring and teaching. They can do a fine job with some deacons who have some experience to come alongside and guide them and help them and Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. Also, if you make the pastor the deacon, not only does he, there are many gifted men of God who are married that can do a fine job pastoring a church. But if you make the deacon the pastor, now he can't because he doesn't have any children. Or you could, you just have to throw this qualification away. But if you have the pastor separate from the deacons, then then it works. You have deacons who have some road time. It's okay to have a pastor that isn't qualified to be a deacon. Can I get a witness? Right? It's okay for that. It's okay. But they rule their children. It's not husbands ruling their wives. It's the husband and wife one ruling their children together. They're a pair. They're a team that's ruling their children. And they're a team that's ruling their house. And that's a good thing. Uh, Because if a man isn't qualified to keep his house physically. He loses it. He don't pay the bills. Lose his house. He, he can't. What's he going to do to a local church? And if him and his wife can't rule. And keep his house. Not only physically. But spiritually. What's he going to do to a local church? You have some good deacons. And their wives that have some solid road time in life? What if the pastor has some marital problems? Who's going to help them? The deacon? Well, the pastor is not allowed to have problems. What if somebody in the congregation has some trouble with their kids? Who's going to help them? Well, if you have a young pastor and he doesn't have any kids or his kids are one or two, who's going to help him? Some good deacons and their wives. Folks, that's a good thing. Amen. Don't expect to have the pastor figure all this out. Get him some deacons that can help. These are important matters. Somebody has some family issues. It is okay. For some deacons and their wives to take that family aside, or take them out, or go visit with them, and say, "Hey, well, yeah, I'll help y'all sit with y'all. It's okay. It's a good thing." And we want to inculcate that. Verse number thirteen. We'll start to unwind here with this verse. Bible says, "For they that have used the office of a deacon well, purchased to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus." It's not in associates or a bachelor's, or a master's, it's a good degree. It's not a father, it's not a rabbi, Matthew 23. It's not a reverend, Psalms 111. The good degree is this. Have you used the office of a deacon well? Are you a good servant to the Lord Jesus Christ at a local assembly that is so much better than all the titles and letters after a name. That's what we want. A servant that has great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And I believe if you look at verse 9 one last time, if you can do verse 9, holding the mystery of faith in a pure conscience, You can be bold. A lot of people aren't bold because their conscience isn't pure. And you say, well, this doesn't apply to me because I'm a female and there are no deaconesses, so I'm excused. Or I'm a man and maybe I don't meet all the qualifications, so I'll never be a deacon. Or you may say, I'm a young person here tonight and, well, that's so far out of my reach that I'll never be, well, this sermon isn't for me. May I say to you, whether you are a father or a husband or a wife, or just a Christian that wants to do more for the Lord, it won't hurt any of us to try to get our lives in more alignment with these qualifications. Now, young people, you're not gonna go out and get a wife and all that, so minus, minus that. But the principle I'm trying to make is, is your conscience pure? Are you bold? Are you not slanderous? Are you sober? Those are good things that all of us should strive to be not for an office, but for Christ, because we live for him.